All right, I want you all to stand up for a minute. Everybody stand up for a minute. Shake your legs out. Shake your legs out. I, I want you to know, um, you know this, there are very few times in a year that I'll allow somebody to come into this pulpit. And it's because I'm very protective of this pulpit. And the reason I'm protective of this pulpit is because I'm protective of you. Do you understand that? But when I heard Matt speak at the Chamber of Commerce meeting a few months ago, it really touched Trish and I's heart and the others of you that were there. And, and I was so impressed with he and his wife. And, and so I've invited Matt to come today, and you're going to get blessed today. Matt is a syndicated columnist, speaker, singer, as well as a television and radio personality. Many of you have seen him on the Arkansas Morning Show down in Little Rock. He's the director of Beautiful Feet Incorporated, a lay ministry intended to inspire, encourage, and motivate people to fulfill their ministry by becoming all God's created them to be. Doesn't that sound about right? So let's welcome Matt Moser, guys. I just want to know, who put this picture in here? Because I am short and squatty enough. I mean, you know, I think it's rather cruel. It's a great, uh, great privilege to be here with you guys this morning. Um, I'm a little confused. We started at 10 o'clock, right? Right? What time is it now, like 11? What time did the Baptist get to the restaurant? What time we got to get out of here? What a- we just go till we're done? All right. Well, that's a, that's a good thing. How do you love your pastor and his wife? Aren't they great? Man, I, tell you, I, I don't know if I've been at a church that has two better-looking pastors. Uh, it's like the Ken and Barbie of Christendom, isn't it? It's, it's just wonderful to be here with people like that. Oh, and by the way, they did give me some water, uh, Chris, but they put it down here because they thought you'd drink it. I am so excited to be here. Uh, you know, when you do these sorts of things and you get a word from the Lord and you really want to share that word from the Lord and you come into a church like this and, and your guys are worshiping just amazingly and it's just so fun to be a part of it, I really want you to finish because I want to get up here. So I want to share what God has for you through me today and it's just so cool. But It was just so much fun to, to be here and to listen to you guys uh, sing and and praise and worship and recount this, uh, this women's ministry thing. i got to be honest with you, though, 27,000 women in one room, that's the last place I want to be. <laughs> Can I get a witness? <laughs> All right. All righty. Hey, I want to give you a, uh, a couple of commercials before I get, uh, I get started with what I want to say here. Um, as, uh, as Chris mentioned, you may have heard before, I've been in television for about 26 years. God called me out of television, though, back in 2001 to go into full-time ministry, and I didn't have one person in my family, in my circle of friends, or my church that said, if you feel like this is really what God wants you to do, then you better go, and I got your back. Not one person encouraged me to take that step of faith. And one of the reasons I think that is is because we, as a body of Christ, have forgotten how to play tag. You remember how to play tag? Some of you, it's been a long time since you played tag. I can tell. I can, I can see from up here. You know, I can, I can see the snow on the roof. I can see some of us are missing a few shingles too. Amen. All right. Yeah. 
you know, if, you're, if you've forgotten how to play tag, you got to remember uh, when you're, you're on the playground and you're tagging everybody, but when you wanted to, 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 to get away, when you wanted to get a break, when you wanted to catch your breath, when you wanted to get a drink, you went to base, didn't you? And when you touched base, you were safe on base. You couldn't be tagged. And base was the tree. It was the side of a math building. It was, uh, you know, a, a crack in the whatever it was. Base was a safe zone. You couldn't be it if you were on base, but you didn't stay on base, did you? In order to enjoy the fun and the, and, the, and, the, and the play and the life, you had to get off base and get out onto the playground where all the games were, right? Well, what would happen if you ran to base and you stayed there? And, and instead of going back out onto the playground, you invited all of, your, all of your friends to come onto the base with you. Well, pretty soon you'd have a bunch of people gathered around a flagpole, right? And then somebody would say, you know, this base would be a lot more comfortable if we brought in some chairs. And you bring in some chairs and you bring in some sofas and you look up over your head, there's some clouds. Maybe we ought to build a roof over the base. And so everybody gathers their money together and they build a really cool base right there in the middle of the playground so everybody around can see how really cool your base is. And everything is really fun and safe and happy until, you know, people start getting hungry and people start getting bored. But a bit, instead of going out onto the playground, you bring all the toys and the games and the food and the fun onto your base. Well, pretty soon you got a bunch of people safe and happy and comfortable base dwellers. Until some rabble-rouser in that group says, you know, I have a better idea to keep these people on base occupied. And so he goes off and he starts another base. And that guy starts a different base over there. This guy has an entire amusement park in the backyard of his base. Well, you know what happens to the base dwellers, don't you? They become base jumpers. And they jump from base to base to base to base, trying to satisfy the emptiness within this niggling feeling inside of them that there's got to be more to life than even the coolest bases have to offer. But you never get back out onto the playground. And what about the people that run the bases? Pretty soon they start realizing they're spending a whole lot of money trying to keep the base jumpers from jumping, so they start competing with the other bases. You know, that base is just wrong. That base is not a true base. Those people over there, they just whacked out. They're handling snakes. We start fighting with the other bases. And meanwhile, the people out there on the playground are looking at the people on the base who are just as stressed out. They're just as rebellious. They're just as divorced as everybody else out of the playground. Why would they want what you got? Now, what, what if the bases grew larger and larger and more active with more programs, all while becoming increasingly more irrelevant? I know that would never happen, right? I'm just supposing what if. See, when you boil the words of Jesus down to their bare essence, folks, we as his followers are left with one very clear commandment, and that is, go. Go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples. That's our mission. That's what we have to do as a body of Christ. We have to stop being safe on base and get out onto the playground. I wrote that down in a book. It's the story of my journey out of television into ministry, and hopefully it will be your story as well. This book is intended to inspire and encourage and to motivate you to get off base, out onto the playground, out into the mission and the ministry that God has created for you. In my humble opinion, this is the best book that has ever been written. Maybe the second best book. Uh, and, and this may not be for you 27,000 women, but uh, 
A couple of years ago in our ministry, uh, God opened up a door for us to buy a retreat center. Now, I go around to speak at a lot of churches, but we also wanted a place where we could bring churches and ministries and families and businesses to come and do teaching and training and retreating. We want to help teach the next generation of Christian leaders. And so God provided us a 14,000-square-foot, three-story, 16-bedroom former Duck Lodge outside of Stuttgart, Arkansas, worth $1.5 million. We were able to get this lodge and 60 acres for $200,000, paid it off in seven months, and we want you to use it. It's an amazing facility. We do have some capital needs, though. We need to make some improvements on it, and so to do that, we're going to have a raffle, okay? And fellas, we are raffling off a Benelli Super Black Eagle II Mossy Oak Duck Blind Camo Shotgun. Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> All the proceeds will help us to buy a... Uh, a wobble trap machine and put a roof over our shed and our dog kennels and all sorts of good stuff. And uh, tickets are $25 or $5 or 100 You can't beat that with a stick. All right. Now, before I get to what I want to say, let's sing a song because I want you to sing with me because I sing different music than you do. And I want you to sing with me. Some of you guys know these words. If you can sing, sing with me. If you can't, be quiet. Oh, how he loves you and me. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love. and died to buy my pardon an empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives because he lives I can face tomorrow because he All fear is gone Because I know He holds the future And life is worth the living Just because He lives Amen Above all powers, above all kings, 
above all nature and all created things, above all wealth and treasures of the earth. There's no way to measure what you're worth. Above all kingdoms and above all thrones, Above all wonders this world has ever known, above all wealth and treasures of the earth, I screw up to. There's no way to measure what you're worth. Oh, crucified and laid behind a stone. thing on hello Justin can you hear me now can you hear me now all right I want to talk about Jesus today you want to talk about Jesus I think everybody uh, has a different view of who Jesus is everybody kind of looks at Jesus a different way than somebody else you might have a different perspective of who Jesus is and sometimes when you pray you might have a vision an idea in your mind of who Jesus is a particular uh, you know Jesus might look one way he might look a little differently he might look like this right behind us you might worship like the Renaissance Jesus you see that with a big gold plate behind his head you know, that might be the Jesus you think about when you pray. Or how about this Jesus right here? Here's another vision of Jesus. I call him gang sign Jesus. You know? I mean, that might be the Jesus that you think about when you pray. Or how about this guy? This guy's pretty familiar to you right there. You remember that one? Look at that Jesus right there. Isn't he sweet? Looking ever so sweetly off into the distance. Nice Roman nose. Sweet, tender, loving, kind. Caring, compassionate, long-haired, green-eyed hippie. <laughs> that might be the way that you view Jesus. Nothing wrong with that. Or you may not even worship or think about the grown-up Jesus when you pray. You may think of Jesus like this. Like this. It's the video. <laughs> you might think of Jesus like this. 
We got to turn on the sound, though. Domino's, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful, beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR, as we call them. And of course, my red hot smoking wife, Carly, who's a stone cold fox. Also, want to thank you for my best friend and teammate, Cal Naughton Jr., who's got my back no matter what. Shake and bake. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And it smells terrible, and the dogs are always mm. bothering with it. Mm. Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, um, you know, sweetie. Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. Dear tiny Jesus, your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled-up fist palm. He was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I win the races and I get the money. I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt. I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. I like to think of Jesus like with giant eagle's wings yeah. and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner with like an angel band. And I'm in the front row. Hey, Cal, why don't you just shut up? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Dear eight pound, six ounce... Newborn infant Jesus. Don't even know word yet. Just little infant, so cuddly, mm. but still omnipotent. Mm. We just thank you for all the races I've won and the $21.2 million. Woo! 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 Ow! Love that money that I've accrued over this past season. Also, due to a binding endorsement contract that stipulates I mentioned Powerade at each grace, I just want to say that Powerade is delicious and we look forward to Powerade's release of Mystic Mountain Blueberry. Mm. Thank you for all your power and your grace, dear baby God. Amen. 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 Well, you might worship a baby Jesus. You might pray to a eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus or a Jesus in a Leonard Skinner t-shirt. But I want to give you a different picture of Jesus this morning. And I really believe today that if you can get a picture of who this Jesus is, it's going to change the way that you do life. It's going to change the way that you do ministry. It's going to change the way that you do just about everything in your life. You won't settle for good enough. You won't settle for the status quo or just getting by. And to find this Jesus, we have to go to one of the most misunderstood and least preached about books in the entire Bible. And you know which one that one is, right? Revelation. Yeah. Now, we didn't talk a lot about Revelation when I was growing up. And I, I grew up in a whole bunch of different churches all over the country. I was born in California and I moved to Germany, Washington, D.C., Alabama, Mississippi. I was held captive for three years in Texas, and then I came to Arkansas. And I've been a member of a lot of churches, a lot of different denominations, and I don't remember ever really being preached about Revelation. And when we did, it was scary, Right? I mean, there was a lot of stuff in Revelation that we do not like to hear. I mean, there's talk about persecution. There's talk about suffering. There's talk about dying. There's talk about tribulation. And we in North America don't like to hear about that kind of stuff. We like blessing and prosperity and health and wealth. We don't like to think about suffering and dying 
Revelation's got a lot of it in there. There's also a lot of prophecy in there, hard to understand stuff. So what a lot of our preachers did was they just didn't even preach on it. And then we'd get books like the Left Behind series. When I was a kid, there was a guy named Hal Lindsey. Y'all remember Hal Lindsey? He came out with a book called The Late Great Planet Earth, and he prophesied in that book that Jesus would come back in 1984, a year after I graduated from high school, so I really screwed around in high school. Jesus didn't come back in 1984, and I had a lot of making up to do. And then he was supposed to come back in 1988, and Hal Lindsey is still, he's still revising the exact time and the date that Jesus is going to come back. And, you know, part of me wonders why it is so important that we know exactly the time and the date that Jesus comes back. Jesus himself didn't even know when he's coming back. But we want to know the date and the time and the minute so that we can live for ourselves up until that point, get everything straightened out and go to heaven. Maybe that's the way you think about it. Kind of the way I thought about it. It's important, though, that we be schooled on end-time events. The book of Revelation is in the Bible for a reason. It is here so that we can study. It is important that we know about the birth pangs as Jesus gets a little bit closer to the end times. It's important that we know who the man of sin is going to be, who is the Antichrist. In fact, the Bible says in Revelation 13, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the man, and his number is 666. I don't know what that means. But I think when the time comes, the more we read, the more God will reveal to us what exactly that does mean. We need to know who the Antichrist is. We need to be aware of end times events. But we also need to be aware of something else that so many of us skip over when we talk about the book of Revelation. And that is the first five books of this, uh, chapters of this book. Maybe the most amazing five chapters in all of the Bible. Maybe the most important chapters for you and me as folks who are living in this day and time. Because the first five chapters of the book of Revelation illuminate the whole thing. When this book was written, it was written as a book of hope. Now, we don't look at it as a book of hope. We look at it as a book of dread, again, because we're talking about pain and suffering. But the people to whom Revelation was written written were already in the midst of pain and suffering. They were already in the midst of... Of tribulation, And so when they read it and they hear it, which is meant to be read and received all in one sitting, and they read about Jesus Christ coming back, man, it was an incredible book of inspiration and a book of hope. And that's what this book is all about. It was written by the Apostle John, one of the twelve. It was written right around the mid-90s. John wrote this book while he was on the Isle of Patmos, which is a penal colony just southwest of Ephesus in the Aegean Sea. It is not just about the revelation of Jesus Christ about end times events. This book of Revelation, especially the first five chapters, is a book about the revealing of who Jesus Christ really is. And let's start in chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads, and those who hear the words of the prophecy, and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. John, this is the apostle, to the seven churches that are in Asia... Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. That is God. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, that is the Holy Spirit. 
and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. Here's your picture of the Trinity. Jesus Christ is the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and releases us from our sins by his blood. Jesus has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. We are all children of the King. We are all called and commissioned and pardoned to be priests. It is our mission to share the gospel with everybody uh, that we come across. It is not just his job. It's all of our jobs to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Everybody has a ministry. You, this may scare you to death to be up on a pulpit or on a stage or sharing the gospel with somebody, but everybody has a mission. There is a purpose and a plan for everybody's life. Have you ever heard of a guy named Jonathan Ogden? He's a football player, former football player with the Baltimore Ravens. Dude is six foot ten, three hundred and fifty pounds. Every year he played, he was all pro. He was a left tackle for the Baltimore Ravens. Great big mountain of a man. Well, one year, two thousand and seven, he didn't play the entire year. You know why? Because this man, who was about six foot nine, three hundred and fifty pounds, with huge shoulders, broad neck, enormous tree trunk legs, this guy didn't play the entire season because he hurt his big toe. Now, it was called turf toe, and if you've ever had turf toe, it's painful as all get out. But what the point I'm trying to make here is that this entire mountain of a man, his brain worked, his net worked, his arms worked, his hands worked, his legs worked, and everything worked on him except that toe. And that little itty-bitty part of his body rendered the entire body useless. Everybody here has a mission. Everybody here has a purpose and a plan. It may be great, it may be small, but there are no small, unimportant missions in God's plan. Okay? We are all pardoned to be priests. We are children of the King. We are here to proclaim His excellencies. And if we avoid this privilege, if we avoid or run away from this responsibility, folks, we rob ourselves of the abundant life that Christ has called us to live. In verse, uh, we keep going here. He made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Even so, amen. Listen to this. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, who is to come, the Almighty. Amen. In verse 9. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now, this is John. Again, he was on the island of Patmos because he was preaching the word of God and he was arrested. He was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Incidentally, in Revelation, when he says the Lord's day, he's not talking about the Sabbath. He's talking about the day Jesus rose from the dead, which was Sunday. So this is Sunday. This is the Lord's day. He's in the spirit. He's not in a dream. He's not having a vision. The Holy Spirit transports him to this place so all of his senses could be able to receive what he's about to receive. And I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. That verse right there is so important to somebody like me. Because I've been in television since I, you know, about 26 years or so. And, and people, when you, when you say that you're in television, anybody that works in television is supposed to be tall and dark and handsome with a nice, deep, manly voice. And, and, and I don't uh, have a manly voice. And, and they say when you work in the nice, deep, manly voice, that was the voice of God. 
And I've been a Christian ever since I was eight years old. I thought if anybody in television should have the voice of God, it should be me. This is incredibly encouraging. And you know this is true. If you've ever done a church cantata and you needed somebody to be the voice of God, Moses, take off your shoes. You know, you always get that guy with a deep, manly, masculine voice. According to John, when he turns around and he sees Jesus, Jesus has a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. I have yet to hear a bass trumpet. I think some of you might be a little bit surprised when you get up to heaven and there's God with that deep, thunderous voice. But here's Jesus over on the throne saying, Come on in, my good and faithful servants. I'm just telling you. Don't you think you have God all figured out? All right? I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of the trumpet saying, Write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. Now, these were seven literal churches. These are also seven figurative churches. There were seven churches in Asia, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, but they also stand for different types of churches. We don't have time to get into each and every one of those. But he was to write what you see to these seven churches. And then the apostle John turns to see the voice that was speaking with him. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Those are the seven churches. And in the middle of the lampstands, there was one like a son of man Jesus often referred to himself as the Son of Man. We are created in his image. He turns to see the glorified Christ. He looks like a man. Clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his breast with a golden girdle. This is Jesus in his high priestly vestment. He's got his high priestly robe on. Jesus is about to lay down some judgment. And his head and his hair were white, like white wool, like snow. Have you ever been inside a house and a fresh snow falls out, and you wake up in the morning, and you open the door, and it just blinds you? That's, what it, that's the image you need to have here. It's not that he, just, he was an old, bearded, white-haired man. It was brilliant. He glowed. Where else have we seen an, a, a vision of that? You remember when Moses went up to the mountain to talk to God? And, and his, it was just, his God was so awesome, and when Moses would come down, what? He, he glowed. He had to wear a veil over his face because people couldn't look at him. When Jesus was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration, he glowed. This is that same sort of thing. He's, his, his hair and his beard, or his hair, uh, where his hair and his, uh, were like white, like wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. Instead of thinking like a campfire, a more accurate description of what this is, his eyes were like laser beams. They were piercing. You could not escape the vision that Jesus... You know, we can come up with all sorts of things to justify our actions, can't we? We can come up with all sorts of excuses and all sorts of ways to, to say it's okay if we do this and it's okay if we do that. And unfortunately, the church is doing a lot of that lately. But you cannot escape the truth, the gaze of Christ. He can see through all of that smoke. And this gaze that Jesus has in this high priestly judgmental... He is going to gaze right through all of your bluster right to the heart of the matter. You cannot escape this laser beam-like vision of Jesus Christ. His eyes were like a flame of fire and his feet were like burnished bronze when it has been caused to glow in a furnace. When the altar of burnt sacrifice, or burnt offering rather, was lit up, it was brass and it would glow. And that's the same picture of divine judgment. His voice was the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. These are the leaders of the seven churches. God holds the leaders of the churches in his hands. He holds your pastor in his hand. 
okay? You need to pray for your pastor. The accountability of your pastor is a lot higher than your accountability. You need to pray for this guy. Jesus holds that pastor in his hand. In his right hand, he held the seven stars. Out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, which is... There you go. And his face was like the sun, shining in its strength. Could hardly stand to look at him. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. I was asked to lead a small group in my church. And uh, I wanted to do a Bible study. And so we decided to read Revelation. And again, I was a little scared of Revelation. But when I cracked open the book, I said, God, I want you to clear my mind of everything I've ever read about this book. And I just want your Holy Spirit to minister to me about what it is you want me to see out of this book. And try to get all these other books that I've read, you know, the John Hagee's, the Tim LaHaye's, the whatever, you know. And I just want to understand what it is you want me to see about this. And so when I read this and I came to that verse right there, I stopped me cold and I just went, oh my God. You know why? Who wrote this book? John. You know who John was? Let's look at who John was, just real quick. I want you to flip back over to Matthew chapter 4, verse 20. This is going to blow your mind when you finally get a handle of this. Matthew chapter 4, verse 20. Actually, let's start with verse 18. Here is Jesus trying to find his disciples. Jesus is about to begin his earthly ministry. And he needs to find his 12 disciples. And in verse 18 of chapter 4, walking by the Sea of Galilee, he sees two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea because they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets, and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and they immediately left their boat and their father, and they followed him. What is significant about that little passage? When you understand the culture of Palestine at that time, you begin to realize that young boys, in order to learn a profession, would learn their life profession from an older man, a mentor. That older man most likely was their father. If they didn't have a father, another older man in the village would take care of the younger man. He would teach the younger men a trade, a craft, a profession. And there was a period of apprenticeship in their lives where they would learn this trade. And then when they got to be the age of 18, 19, 20, when they became men, they would go off on their own and start their own business. Peter and Andrew had already gone through this process and were in business for themselves. They were out in the boat, Peter and Andrew, fishing by themselves. Where were James and John? In the boat with whom? Zebedee, their father. I wish we would name people Zebedee. These, I'd love that name. Zebedee, do, da, Zebedee. They were in the boat with Zebedee, their father. What does that tell you? James and John were teenagers. You also know that they are teenagers because it says James and John were in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. They had screwed something up. (laughs) You got to look for these little clues in the word, y'all. Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. I had a teenage son. I know exactly what went down in that boat. 
My point here is this about that. Look, you young people, you teenagers, listen, you do not have to wait until you are old to worship God and to serve God and to become the person God created you to be. In fact, the problem is too many of us are waiting until we're old. By the time we get old, we get prideful and set in our ways, and God, I can handle this. You take care of the Middle East. I can do it by myself. God often uses young people to accomplish his will. You think about Gideon. I mean, you think about Josiah. You think about... Uh, uh, Mary, you think about David, you think about Samuel. You, I mean, these are young children God used to accomplish his will because for some reason young people still think God can do what God says he can do. And God chose these two teenage boys not just to be disciples, but to be part of the inner circle of disciples. John was a teenager when he was called by Jesus to be a disciple. In John chapter 13, verse 23, they were having dinner. And it says... Uh, in John 13, 23, the disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know which of whom he was speaking. There was one reclining on Jesus' breast, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. They were having dinner, and John was just laying all over Jesus. Here was this young teenage boy that Jesus was taking under his wing. He was teaching, he was mentoring, he was discipling, he was training to be the leader of his future church. He was learning as much as he can. They were close. John was just wanting to learn everything he could from Jesus. He describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved in John 13, 23, in John 20, verse 2, in John 21, verse 7, and John 21, verse 20. In fact, at the end of his life in John 19, we see Jesus hanging on a cross. And he looks down at the foot of the cross, and who does he see? He sees his mother... And John, nobody else. And he says, woman, behold your son. John, behold your mother. He entrusts the earthly welfare or the welfare of his earthly mother to this disciple, to this close friend, to this buddy, to this pal, to this mentee, to this young man who was, had so much promise and potential in Christ. John and Jesus were very close John knew everything there was to know about Jesus, and Jesus knew everything there was to know about John. John was the last surviving apostle, incidentally. He was about 90 years old when he wrote this book. And yet, John and Jesus were so close, and yet when we get to this part of the Bible, when, Je when John looks around and he sees Jesus, and he sees this guy, when he sees him, he falls at his feet like a dead man. This John, who was so close to Jesus, turns around and sees the revealed Christ and hits his face. Now, why is that so amazing? Because, guys, we don't worship the Jesus of the Gospels. We don't worship baby Jesus. The Jesus we worship is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and the Alpha, and the Omega. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is the... He, I mean, Jesus, we worship the glorified Christ. And so many of us get so comfortable with that other Jesus that we can so easily dismiss him when he asks us to do something crazy. When Jesus calls us into the ministry to which we've been called, we can say, I'm a little uncomfortable with that. Why don't you let somebody else go do that? Why don't you let the pastor do that? Why don't you let the music minister do that? Why don't you let the evangelist do that? Not me. I'll just serve you on Sunday because we're so comfortable with long-haired, green-eyed, hippie Jesus, we can dismiss him. But we don't worship that Jesus, do we? 
That Jesus was here when we needed to behold him so that we could understand a little bit more about him. This is the Jesus that we serve now. This is the one to whom we pray, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's the Jesus who gives us strength. When we say, Lord, meet my needs, protect my children, help me witness to this friend, no weapon formed against me shall prosper, we don't think about the poor, meek carpenter. Think about the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? Flip over to Ephesians 1. I want you to get a hold of this before we get out of here because I'm getting hungry. Ephesians 1, verse 18, and I'm going to begin to wrap it up with this, but I want you to get an idea. I want you to get an understanding of who Jesus is and who you are in Christ, okay? Listen to this. Chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 18. This is Paul writing. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling in your life. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in you? Not what you have inherited in him, Because that's pretty obvious what he has inherited in you. You are the hands and the feet of the body of Christ. You are special. You are unique. I pray that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the glory of the riches of his inheritance in the saints, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. He brought that might about in Christ. When God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. He seated Jesus Christ far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. Folks, there is nothing higher and more powerful than Jesus Christ. And then listen what he did. He put all things in subjection underneath the feet of Jesus Christ. And then the most amazing part about this, he gave him to you. Is that amazing? He gave Jesus Christ as head over all things to the church, which is his body. Hallelujah. Woo, thank you, Lord. Do y'all get a handle on this? I want you to think about this when you get home, and I want you to think about when you start praying to Jesus, and you think about that Christ, you think about that Jesus you so easily dismiss. I want you to focus on that Jesus, not only who hung on the cross and paid the penalty for your sins, but the Jesus that rose again. The Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father Almighty living to make intercession on your behalf. The Jesus who fills you up and empowers you to give you that purpose and that meaning in your life. But here's the most amazing thing about this as well. I'll close it right here in Revelation. Right after John sees this image of Jesus and he, and he falls on his face as a dead man, Jesus laid his right hand upon me. This right hand of favor, this right hand of power, he lays it upon John and he says, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. In other words, he's telling John, look brother, I was the same dude I was back then. You just couldn't behold me then. This is who I am, and I love you, and I made you. I wove you together in your mother's womb. I know the days that are ordained for you, and as yet as, uh, there was one of them. I have the keys of life and death in my hands right here. I've got a purpose and a plan for your life. Now go in my name and impact your world in the power of Jesus Christ. 
Is that good stuff or what? Somebody give God a hand of praise, man. That's good. Father, we love you, and we praise you for this word today, Lord. That is so good. We thank you that you wrote this word specifically for us this morning. Father, I know that there are people in this congregation right now who have been struggling over what it is that you've called them to do. They know that there's more to this life than what they're living. They know that there's something else out there that they need to be doing. Sometimes, and they may not even admit this to their friends or to their pastor or to their church, but they sit in here and they wonder, is this all there is to the Christian life? There's got to be more to life than this. And Father, I pray your Holy Spirit will convict them this morning that there is. There is more to you than even you can possibly fathom if you live your life in Christ. I pray that we would know the hope of your calling in our lives. I pray, Lord Jesus, if we know you, if there are believers in here, that they would ask you to fill them up with your power, with your purpose and your plan. That we may leave here and get a better understanding of what it is that you've called us to do. Because you've said we can't conform to this world. But if we are transformed through the renewing of our mind, as we get our mind and our word and focus on you, we would be able to prove what is the will of God for our life, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. But Father, if there are people out here this morning that have never made you the Lord of their life, if there are people in this room right now, Jesus, that have never asked you to come into their heart and forgive them of their sins, if they've never tapped into that eternal power, I pray, Father, they would pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on that cross for me. Thank you for taking my sins upon your back and paying my penalty. Come into my heart right now, Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. Create in me a new heart because I want to live for you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I'm going to serve you as you empower me to impact my world for Christ. And folks, we pray all of this in the name that is above all names, Jesus Christ. Amen. Check, check. There I am. I'd like the guys to come forward. I think it's important when we have speakers here that are representing a ministry that we bless them and partner with them. Some give you an opportunity to give this morning. Father, I just thank you today. And I pray, Lord, uh, that you would bless Matt and Camille's ministry. But we thank you for the word that he's delivered today. I receive that. Lord, I just pray that you would bless him, that every, everything he does, that you would bless his steps, Father, and that he would carry this message and the passion that you've given him and touch many lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead, guys.
been a good day, hasn't it? Amen. It's been a good day. Father, we just thank you for your presence. We thank you for touching our lives today. We thank you for all that you've done this morning. And Lord, we just pray that as we leave this place, that we would be those lights that you've called us to be, that we would be your hands and feet. In Jesus' name, amen. Matt's out in the lobby. I encourage you to meet him. If you're a visitor today, I would love for you to come up. As a matter of fact, we've got